It is wonderful to see you here. I, um, we have a bunch of families out. You know, every week since our opening, we had, of course, 126 people here in our opening, and it was a packed house, a lot of out-of-town visitors. We knew they were going home, and then every week after that, our numbers have been going up, and it's been really exciting to see this place fill up. And, and then I got a bunch of texts this morning. We've got a, a one guy's pipes froze, um, one family last night, believe it or not, so they couldn't come. And we had several families because of Thanksgiving or not are out of town for Thanksgiving. And then two families called me and said they were sick. So we have a whole bunch of our folks missing. And I, I'm not happy about that, but I'm happy that I know what's going on. Or that I've been really worried that I said something last week that I shouldn't have because because we're down today, but it's good to see all of you that are here, so thank you for being here. just want to go over a few announcements, and before I do, I want to say to all of you who are here, maybe for the first time, and I think we have some folks, first-time guests today, in the, in the back of the pew in front of you, there's a visitor's card, and we'd love for you to fill that out. You don't, obviously, you don't have to, um, but I promise you, if you do, we won't bug you. I won't, I won't call you and we won't come by your house um, unless you want us to. If you're right on there, I'd like a pastoral visit or sometimes people want to talk about some things about the church, I will call. But otherwise, I'll leave you alone. It simply helps us to have a record of our visitors as we have to report that each month to our uh, umbrella organization in Columbia with our denomination. And it helps us to get to know you a little bit better, know who was here. So please consider filling one of those out and you can drop it in the offering bag in just a few minutes in the service. And thank you for coming. We recognize that you could have chosen to worship at any number of churches this morning, but you chose to, to come here. And that means a lot to us, so thanks. A few quick announcements. Um, just want to mention again, as I do each week, um, don't forget our Facebook page. You can go on there if you're on Facebook onto Upcountry Church and like, or you have to hit the like button, but then you'll get updates um, from my wife and I about things going on at the church. Our website is up and running. It's still not complete, but we each week are making progress. We have three or four sermons on there now uh, that you can listen to if you missed a week. And the calendar is up. You can go on the calendar page and, and there are events through the end of the year listed on there. And we'll continue to update that. Next Sunday is our football fellowship. We've been doing that every other week, and it's been growing each week. We uh, ask you to bring whatever meat you'd like to grill, burgers, hot dogs, chicken, whatever, prime rib, whatever you want, and uh, a side dish to share, and we will provide the rest, drinks and, and paper goods and all that sort of thing, and desserts. And we have the, t the football game with whoever's playing Sunday right after church on our big screen TV downstairs. And we grill out together, and we hang out and eat and fellowship and watch the game, and it's just a lot of fun. No pressure, but we'd love for you to come. That We had it last week. It'll be next week again, immediately following the service. So you can bring your stuff in the morning and drop it off in the kitchen downstairs if you'd like to participate in that. We have a youth fellowship. December 8th. Um, as you know, we don't have a regular youth group meeting yet, uh, but we're working on that. We're putting leadership in place. Some of our guys here are going to help with that. And uh, next year, early in the year, we'll be starting regular Wednesday night youth services. But as a get-together, just for our kids to get to know one another, we've got, I think we have a good 15, 16, 17 maybe teenagers uh, coming here, not all at the same time. We have different families each week, but several that would like to come. So December 8th from 4 o'clock in the afternoon until 8 p.m. We're going to meet here with the kids. There'll be adult supervision here. My wife and I will be here and a couple of other parents. And uh, we're going to have a scavenger hunt. We're going to have volleyball. We're going to have a bonfire. Uh, we're going to have a lot of fun with the kids. So please plan to come and uh, drop your kids off then if you would. Uh, December 23rd at 10.30 a.m. This is obviously the Sunday before Christmas. We're going to have a special Christmas service. So please, if you're in town, plan to come. Bring a friend. It's a very non-threatening service. It'll be about an hour long, and we're going to have a special reading of the Christmas story with different folks in our fellowship here and our family will be involved in reading the Christmas story. There's going to be a lot of Christmas music and special songs and different things, so um, we'd like for you to participate, and that'll be at 10.30 a.m., and then immediately following the service, we're going to have a Christmas dinner together, a lunchtime uh, dinner, and we're going to eat together and have some uh, good Christmas fellowship before we dismiss, okay? And then uh, early, either the last Sunday of December or early in January, we're planning a water baptism service. Water baptism is one of the ordinances of the church. 
we were commanded throughout Scripture, throughout the New Testament, to be baptized in water and in the Holy Spirit. And so communion, which we do here, and water baptism are two of the ordinances of the church that are very important. Jesus himself was baptized by John the Baptist. So I just want to say to you, baptism is, like communion, a very meaningful thing. And we'll teach about that. I'll teach about baptism soon. But if you were baptized as a child or as a baby even, uh, as I was initially, and maybe you don't remember that because you were too little or you were a young child and it, it ne didn't necessarily have the meaning that it could now, is that you're older, please consider being baptized again. I came back years later as I was an adult and was baptized a second time um, because I understood better what it meant. And it's a, it's a wonderful experience and we should all have that. So um, we do believe in complete immersion and I'll, I'll teach on that, why we believe that scripture says that. Um, but it's okay if you weren't. But if you'd like to be, that's what we do here. The reason we don't have a firm date yet is, <clears throat> as you know, we bought this old building. And we spent the whole summer renovating it, and, and we sort of prioritized things as we had to. And there are a few things on the list that didn't get done before our opening, and one of them was test out the water tank, <laughs> which is behind me, behind this curtain, and it's a large tank. And it seems prudent before we fill it with water and put people in it <laughs> that we should probably test that out and make sure we don't flood the basement or end up in the basement, right? So I'm kidding. I'm sure it's very safe, but we will test it and make sure it's thoroughly safe before we let you get in it. And uh, before we baptize you, we'll have a sign-up sheet for that coming soon. We already have some people who have asked to be baptized, so you won't be alone. And um, we're going to do that soon, so I'll let you know in the next couple of weeks. And then finally, I think I mentioned already, weekly Wednesday services um, in our youth church will be starting soon. Okay? I'd like to ask our ushers, if you would, to come forward at this time. We're going to receive our morning tithe and uh, an offering. And as we do, we'll pray in just a moment. We're going to watch a video, hopefully. We've been having some trouble with our computer. But cross your fingers and say a prayer that the computer's going to work. We're going to watch a video called Trust Fall. It's about living by faith. So let's ask the Lord to bless the offering now. Father, we thank you for each person here today. Just having them here means so much. It's a privilege. And more than any of that, Lord, we thank you for your presence here. It's, it's such an honor to be able to stand in your presence and worship together. And giving is a form of worship. And so whether we give our time, we give our, our energy, we give our talents, we give our passions, we give our money, whatever it is, it's part of our worship to you. So we give everything to you today, Lord, and we ask you that as we give in this offering that you would use every single penny to build your kingdom and help us to steward it properly just the way that you want it to. And we ask you to bless each one that gives as well this morning. And we thank you again. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus, I just don't trust you. You don't trust me? No, I mean, I want to trust you. I just don't. <laughs> I have an exercise that I think will really help. Oh, okay. Stand here and face this direction. Mm -hmm. Now, do you trust me? Uh, no, I just said I don't trust you. Right. Well, this is all part of the exercise. Oh, all right. Okay. Whenever I ask you if you trust me, you say, yes, Jesus, I trust you. Even though I don't. It's practice. Okay. So, do you trust me? Uh, yes, Jesus, I trust you. Now, fall back. Are you going to catch me? Don't worry about that. Part. Okay, that's the part I'm worried about. <laughs> you can do this, okay? Just trust me. Trust you. Fall back. Okay, well, Jesus, I trust Good. you. Yes, I do trust you. I'm gonna fall. Okay. Woo! Oh, okay. That's great. Uh, let's try this again. Just face this direction and keep your feet planted. All right? Do you trust me? Yes, Jesus, I trust you. Now, fall back. Okay, I'm gonna do it. All right. I'm really gonna do it. Okay. Good. You need to move back. Ah, right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this one's a little bit different. Though. Oh, okay. Uh, stand here. Uh-huh. But face me. Oh, forward fall. Okay. I can do that. Wait. Whoa. Okay. Um, wait for my signal. Oh, right. The Jesus signal. <laughs> yes. The okay. Jesus signal. Do you trust me? Yes, Jesus. I trust you so much. Good. 
fall back. <laughs> That's awesome. It is awesome. Especially when you do it. <laughs> Seriously? Of course. Okay, Jesus, I don't know if you noticed this, but there is nobody over there. I know it looks that way to you. It looks that way. It is that way. You can do this, Laura. Just trust me and fall back. Jesus, I can't do that. We can do it together. I can't. You can. I won't. Well, learning to trust God in everything that we do, even when we don't know the outcome, that's what that's about. It's not the easiest path to take, but living by faith means trusting God, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And good morning. It's great to be with you here today. I want to say thank you to everyone who came to our night of thanks on Wednesday. This past Wednesday, we had a full house downstairs. Lots of great desserts and fellowship. And we were able to bless one of the families in our neighborhood here with a lot of food and gift cards that you donated. So thank you again for caring for each other and sharing the love of Christ the way that you do. It means more than you know. We have intended right from the start, from day one, to make this church a giving church. A church that is constantly reaching out beyond ourselves to share the love of God and everything that goes along with that to as many people as we possibly can. With that in mind, we're going to start a toy drive through the month of December, and we'd like to be able to collect enough for more than one family. We did one family for Thanksgiving, and we'd like to expand that for Christmas. We want to expand our reach in our neighborhood here. And when I say that, I don't just mean recruiting people to the church. We do want to recruit people into the kingdom of God. We want to lead people to Christ. That's what this is about. But even if people never step foot in this church, we still need to love them. We still need to provide for people's needs. That is part of what the church is put here on earth to do, okay? So it's not about getting people to come. That's great if they do. It's wonderful. But it's about taking care of people in need. That's what we're, we want to do in this neighborhood, okay? <clears throat> be giving you more details about that and putting out a sign-up sheet for that also. We have to meet more folks in the neighborhood with children. Those of you that live in the neighborhood, we have some here. Um, names, addresses, people we can talk to. We'd like to find out age-appropriate gifts, what the kids would like, and work on a toy drive through December so we can bless the kids in our, in our community here, okay? I also want you to know that we've been giving... 10% of our gross income at the church here, 10% of everything that comes in every week to missionaries and our Assemblies of God church planting organization. This is the same organization that helped us get started here with this church. And so we're now giving back into that program to help other new churches get started all around the country. The missionary family that uh, we're giving to is the Wilsons. And they have two little kids that aren't, I couldn't get, find a picture of them with their children. Um, these are dear friends of ours from Alaska. We, most of you know we moved back here from Alaska recently. They're Assemblies of God missionaries recently appointed to Madagascar. And I'll tell you, it's nothing like the movie. I've seen all of them with my kids, great movies. The family, this husband and wife, Jason and Sarah, and their two little kids are living in an extremely remote village. The only travel routes from village to village and into any city and back are single track dirt trails through the jungle. So they're not wide enough for a car, but it's too far to walk efficiently and particularly to carry your family. So the Assemblies of God purchased two dirt bikes, motorcycles, these off-road dirt bikes for them. And they ride these motorcycles with their whole family from village to village in order to spread the gospel. It's a very dangerous place to live, especially for foreigners. Very high crime, but they were called by God to share Jesus Christ with the people of Madagascar, and so they went. And I want you to know that we're supporting them. We're sending money to them each month. So just know that when you give into this church, you're giving into the kingdom of God here in Traveler's Rest as we help meet the needs of those around us and share the gospel around the country with new church plants and around the world with foreign missionary support, okay? A country church is and had better always be a giving church because that is part of what God has called us to do as the local church. And so we're off to a great start. And your generosity, your joyful giving is already making an impact, okay?
Today we're going to talk about faith and specifically living by faith. We've covered some basic doctrines of the church over the past few weeks. And last Sunday we talked about unity in the church. And at times it can become overwhelming to think about all that we're called to do and all that we're supposed to be a part of scripturally. How do we possibly manage all of that? Well, first of all, Matthew 19.26 tells us that with God all things are possible. Not by our own effort, but only with God. So God ultimately is sovereign over what we accomplish in this life through our obedience, which we'll talk about that subject in the future. But being obedient to his word and his voice means exercising our faith. This whole deal, this entire Christian life, requires us to not only have faith, but to exercise our faith in obedience to the Father. So as we talk about following Christ and following the Word and being filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Spirit of God, being missionaries in our community and committing ourselves to unity in the church, all of these disciplines, these commitments that we've been talking about over the last several weeks, require a life full of faith. So that's what today's message is about, living by faith, okay? And I hope that by the end of it you'll have a clear picture of what it means to live by faith. As I've mentioned several times, my wife and I have been learning what it means to live by faith over the past several years. At times, we've had to exercise that faith more than others in certain situations and circumstances that we've been confronted with. A couple of years ago, I was accepted into the University of Chester at Mattersea Hall in England. I'm getting my uh, master's degree in theology there. And so the deal is you fly back and forth a few times and you go to these intensive lectures and then you come back home and you do tons of research, tons of reading and writing, you write these papers and then you go back and so on and I'm on the tail end of that now, that program. But when we started and we were just there recently, my wife and I, for about two and a half weeks just before we launched the church and we had a wonderful time. But when I first went, there was a lot of faith being exercised in that whole experience for several reasons and I'll touch on some of that today through the message. But I met these tremendous people from all over the world the first time I went. It's an international school. So there are people from all over Africa and Asia and Eastern Bloc Europe and Western Europe all over the place. I was actually the only American that first year at the school. And it was interesting because, I, first of all, I'd never traveled much in my life. I've been around the U.S., but I've never traveled to foreign countries much at all. And so I probably, I don't think I'd been away from my family more than a couple of nights in the 19 years I've been married up until this point. I'm a homebody. I like to be at home. And I don't, you know, people talk about loving to travel. I like being in other places when I get there. I always have a good time. But the actual traveling part is no fun for me. I don't enjoy travel. It just doesn't agree with me. So this was a big step for me to, to, to go to England away from my family for almost three weeks. In this school where everybody was from everywhere except America. And what was so strange is the first few days, everybody I met, before I would tell them who I was or where I was from, they'd say, oh, well, you must be the American. Like word had gotten around that there was an American student at the school. And I remember talking to my wife one of the first few nights I was there and saying, you know, it's weird because um, these, these people all seem to know that I'm American before I even tell them. And my wife, so tactfully, she said to me, well, you know, honey, most of the Europeans tend to be really thin. <laughs> and I thought, okay. I mean, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I think I get your drift. Maybe that's what it is. I was hoping it was like I had a beard or something because nobody has beards over there. But it was this strange experience I was having meeting all of these people, but it was wonderful. And after the first week of these intensive lectures. You're sitting in classes for eight, ten hours a day listening to people from Oxford and all over England and they're these brilliant um, scholars, Bible scholars, lecturing and it's intense theological study and it's where it, I love every minute of it. I've enjoyed every, every minute of the program but it's very tiring. By the end of that first week this Englishman named Dave came up to me and we had made acquaintance but we didn't know each other that well. He said, hey Rob, would you like to get out of town for the weekend? Because we had the weekend off. And I said, yeah, I guess so. I don't even know this guy. And so he said, well, I'll meet you in five minutes at the car. And I said, okay. So I run, grab a jacket, 
And I walk out to the car, and Dave apparently had gone around and invited several other people to go as well. So there's five of us all gathered around this car, and these are kind of big, sort of burly European guys. And they're all standing around, five of us. And if you've ever been to Europe, you know the cars are like the size of a washing machine. I mean, they're tiny because the roads are tiny. And I'm looking at the five of us, and I'm looking at this car, and I'm thinking, how is this going to work? And of course, <clears throat> I end up in the back, in the middle, between a Hungarian and an Indian. And I'm crammed in like this, and there's no real seat in the middle in the back. It's just this hard kind of hump, you know? And so I'm sitting there on this rock-hard hump, and we're driving to a town called Scarborough on the seaside. And we're bumping along the way because the cars don't have any suspension in them, apparently, and the roads aren't great. And so we're driving along. Two hours. I'm starving. We hadn't eaten breakfast. Somewhere along the way, my left cheek went completely numb. We get there, I'm hungry, I'm hobbled, right? I'm trying to walk upright and get out of the car and we hobble over to this little, sort of looks like a restaurant and we go inside and Dave orders food for everybody. I said, great, because I don't know what half, half the stuff is on the menu. And the girl comes out and she sets down these plates with these, they look like pancakes, they're about four inches around, three of them on my plate for everybody, and then a pot of tea. And I'm staring at these things, and I'm thinking, this must be like, you know, the appetizer or something. And I said, is this it? <laughs> and Dave said, yeah. And I'm, I'm starving. We've been driving. I hadn't had breakfast. And I'm thinking, this is not enough food for this American guy to eat. And Dave's looking at me, and I've got this befuddled look on my face. And he says, have you never seen crumpets before? And I said, yeah, I have, Dave. In America, we call them pancakes. And they're this big around, and we put them on a stack on a plate, and we pour syrup all over them. And it's great. He said, you'll be okay. So I ate my three little pancakes. I'm starving. And we're sitting there discussing what we're going to do next. And Dave says, hey, Dave is an adventurer, I found out. He says, before we go back to the college, you know, just a little ways up the road is this town called Whitby. And it's beautiful. And we're, we're only an hour away. We should just run up to Whitby. I said, that's great. Can I get like a Snickers bar or something on the way? Because I'm, I'm really hungry. He said, we'll get food when we get there. I said, great. So we climb back in the washing machine and we head up the road to Whitby. An hour further, we get to Whitby and we get out and we walk around and we get some food and we have a nice time and we get back to the car and Dave says, you know, the Lakes District is just a little bit further up the road. I said, okay, sure, whatever. So we jump back in the car and we take off. And this, we're hopping from town to town and we're going north the whole time. And at some point, somebody said, you know, Dave, we need to make a decision here because if we don't turn around right now, we're not going to make it back to the college before they lock the gates. This is seminary, you know. It isn't like the gates stay open all night. So Dave said, well, there's a great little town just up the road. There's a great bed and breakfast there. Let's ride up there and we'll get, we'll get a couple rooms. Great. So we jump in the car. We drive north. We go to this town. We get out. And the bed and breakfast is full. There's no vacancy. So Dave says, no problem. There's lots of little towns. So we jump in the car and we keep heading north. And literally, we went from town to town to town for hours. And every town had one bed and breakfast. And every one of them was full. And we couldn't find any place to stay. And I keep in mind, we're crammed into this tiny car. An Englishman, a Welshman, an Indian, a Hungarian, and a redneck. And we're all stuck in this little tiny car. It was like the village people on European tour. It was ridiculous. And we're cruising up the road in this little tiny... It was like a comedy routine when we'd get out of it. And we're driving along, and we're exhausted, and we can't... Every town we come to, there's no... There's no I'm, by the way, I'll just tell you. If you want a great investment opportunity, move to Europe and open a hotel. <laughs> because apparently it would be a great business there. I'll never forget, as long as I live, at 3 o'clock in the morning, we're driving north. And Dave says, well, would you look at that? And we all look up, true story, and a sign that we're driving under says, welcome to Scotland. So there we were, driving into the next country at 3 a.m. And, and I said, Dave what's going to happen here? And he said, no problem. Edinburgh is just up the road. It's a huge city. There'll be lots of hotels. Great. 
So we drive into Edinburgh, which is a massive city. We drive around Edinburgh for about an hour and a half, stopping at every single hotel, and none of them has a room available. I said, Dave, we're going to die in Scotland. I can't even call my wife, right? This is, it's like $12 a minute or something, you know. What are we going to do? And he says, don't panic. We're not far from Glasgow. There's always hotels in Glasgow. <laughs> so we drive to Glasgow. I'm, I'm basically seeing all of Europe now in the dark. Hadrian's Wall, the whole thing, right? We get to Glasgow. I kid you not, there is not one hotel room available in that whole city. So we're about out of gas, diesel now, and we drive to this little station, and Dave goes up to the attendant at the gas station, and he says, he's, at, he's telling her about our plight. And he says, is there any place available to stay? And she said, there's a little town called Carlisle, off the beaten path in the middle of nowhere. It's, there's a day's in, believe it or not. And there's bound to be a room available because nobody goes there for any reason, to Carlisle. So we drive to Carlisle, and I said, Dave, I got to get out of the car. I, I mean, my whole, I'm numb from the waist down at this point. I said, I just let me go in and ask for the room, because they had been getting out, and we were sitting in the car in all these towns. He said, that's fine. So I walk into this day's inn, and I ring the bell on the counter. And from around back, this, this older gentleman comes, and he looks like I just woke him up, which I probably did. They probably don't get a lot of customers at 4.30 in the morning, you know, at day's inn in Carlisle, Scotland. And he walks around, and his hair's a mess, and I said, excuse me, I'm wondering if you have two rooms available. And he said something back to me. And I'm, from this to this day, I have no idea one word that he said. Now, they told me since that in Scotland they speak English. But I'm not convinced of that because it might as well have been Chinese. I had no idea what the guy was saying. It's such a strong accent. And I said, I'm sorry, but I didn't understand what you just said. I just need two rooms. And he rattled off a couple of sentences again. No idea what the guy was saying. And I said, man, I'm sorry, I'm a, I'm a dumb American. I realize I'm in your country, but I can't understand you. I don't know what, I just, can you nod? I just need to know if there are two rooms. And he walks away. And I thought, well, I've ticked the guy off now. We're never going to get a room. He comes back out from around back with a lady, who I assume is his wife, who looked like he just woke her up. And we go through the same routine. And I have no idea what she's saying, the same thing. And I, I have no clue what, what they're trying to tell me. And so we go through that again. She goes back, and they come out with a kid who's like 16 years old. <laughs> their, their son, I guess, who they just woke up. And I do the whole deal with him. And I'm, I'm tired. I'm sore. I'm cranky. I'm embarrassed. You know, you can just imagine the scene. I'm in the middle of Scotland somewhere. And finally, because this has taken quite a while, Dave comes walking in, and he says, Hey, Rob. What's the problem? I said, they don't speak English, Dave. <laughs> and Dave looks at them, and they start having a conversation <laughs> in English. Dave's half of it's English anyway. I can understand Dave. And it turns out they had two rooms. So we went and stayed in our rooms and got a few hours sleep. And we got up and drove back to the school. It was actually a great adventure. But the whole trip, you know, going, moving from here to Alaska and that whole story, going to school in England meeting all of these strange, wonderful people and having those experiences and then moving back here and selling everything, it has required us to exercise a lot of faith. When you find yourself in situations beyond your control, you have to exercise faith if you're going to continue to move forward with God, okay? So we're going to talk about living by faith in the time we have left. And first, I just want to address faith in general for a minute, okay? First of all, it's important to understand that faith is a gift, there are different types of faith, and we'll talk about that in a minute. Not all faith is the gift of faith, described in 1 Corinthians 12, 9. But all faith is a gift from God. So you can let yourself off the hook. You see, we can't conjure up faith. We can't create faith for ourselves. So let take the pressure off. I've seen people so stressed out because they can't get enough faith for a situation. They feel inadequate or guilty because they're lacking faith. That is not how God intended us to feel about faith. Should we pray and ask for faith? Yes, absolutely. Should we strive to attain it by our own effort or our own worth? No. We are responsible for what we do with faith. We do have a part to play. 
But don't think that I'm negating God's sovereignty either. I believe that God is sovereign. But at the same time, we have to exercise the faith that he gives us by our own volitional ability, by our own free will, if we're to please him at all. We often argue in Christian circles between God's sovereignty and our own free will, as if those two are mutually exclusive. But the truth is, those two are completely compatible, okay? There's actually a theology called compatibilism that talks about this, which simply means that God's unconditioned sovereignty and the responsibility of human beings are mutually compatible, okay? So the two aren't at odds with one another. They actually work together. And um, D.A. Carson, a great Bible scholar, writes about that in a book called The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God. He talks about compatibilism. Faith is a gift from God. So what do we do? What we do with that gift is up to us. In his first letter to the Corinthians in chapter 4, verse 7, Paul is addressing them in reference to the division in the church, and they're, they're boasting. And he says, what do you have that you did not receive? In other words, all your abilities, opportunities, all your blessings are from God. So quit your boasting. Okay? Paul is saying, name one good thing that you have that wasn't given to you by God. And then later in the same letter in chapter 15, verse 10, he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. This, in other words, is all from God. Okay? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, Paul says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift from God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. We're saved by grace through faith, not by our own doing. It's a gift from God. The whole theme of the book of James is living a life of faith. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In John 6.65, Jesus declares, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. In the same passage, Jesus declares, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Okay, faith is a gift from God. I've heard people say to other people, you just need to increase your faith. The disciples cried this out to Jesus himself in Luke 17, 5 and 6. He was talking to them about temptation and sin, and they said, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith, like the grain of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. You know, mustard seeds are tiny. He said, if you just had faith, forget increase your faith. It's not about the amount of faith that we have. It's about the presence of faith in our lives and how we choose to exercise that. The Bible describes the gift of faith, but there is no gift of more faith. Okay? Just the gift of faith. We either have faith or we don't. Jesus did talk about little faith. Paul talked about weak faith. Those discussions were always in the context of people doubting. Jesus and Paul weren't saying, just have more faith. They were saying, remove your doubt or stop doubting so your faith can grow strong. When Peter stepped out of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus, he was overwhelmed by fear and then he began to focus on what he couldn't do or what he thought he couldn't do rather than what Jesus told him to do. He began to doubt that he could walk on water. And as he began to sink, Jesus took hold of him and he said what? He said, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? He didn't say increase your faith, Peter. He said, why did you doubt? Which leads to our next point. Just as doubt is something that we do, which we'll talk more about later, faith is something we exercise, something we use. It's not just something we have. It's not enough for faith to just reside inside of us. We have to use it. Faith, belief, lots of people have that. It's not the same as exercising our faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God, that's exercising our faith, must believe, exercise our faith, that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Exercising our faith. We seek Him because we believe he will respond. Philippians 1, 27 through 29, Paul says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That's exercising your faith. And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you 
that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. That's exercising your faith. Okay? Just to put an exclamation point on this thought. Let's take chapter 11 of Hebrews, which is all about faith. We won't read the entire chapter. We don't have near, near enough time. But listen to, I'll just read the beginning, the introduction of each line throughout that chapter, okay? It describes what these different people did by faith. Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, this is starting in verse 4, and I'm going to skip through. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. By faith, Noah constructed an ark. By faith, Abraham went to live in the land of promise. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. Again, by faith, Abraham offered up Isaac. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each one of his sons, Joseph. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Again, by faith, he left Egypt. By faith, he kept the Passover. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they'd been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, and put armies to flight. By faith. There's so much power available to us as Christians, as believers, when we exercise our faith. But so often we think it's enough just to believe. I'm here to tell you, it's not enough. It's not enough. We have to walk in faith. We have to use our faith. We have to exercise our faith. That's when we begin to see the mighty nature of God displayed in our lives. Okay, so faith is a gift from God that we have to exercise. We have to work out. We have to use in order to please God. And of course, you've heard, I'm sure, in James, he says, faith without works is dead. Right? We have to exercise our faith. So let's talk briefly about some different types of faith. There's several types of faith demonstrated throughout Scripture, but because of time, we're going to talk about three of them. Okay, first, there's natural faith. Natural faith is synonymous with trust and it's possessed to one degree or another by all human beings. Okay, it's not exclusively Christian. Natural faith is when you loan a tool to a friend and you expect that he's going to return it when he's done. You exercise faith in that friend, right? Even unbelievers do that. Yet it's still a gift from God. Matthew 5.45 says, For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. All right, unbelievers benefit from the blessings of God, just as believers do. Natural faith or trust is one of those blessings that are available to everyone. Job 39.12 says, Do you have faith in him that he will return your grain and gather it to your threshing floor? The word faith in this verse in Hebrew means trust. Okay, that word is used often in Scripture, which is the natural form of faith. And it matters that we understand that there are different types of faith so that we can exercise our faith when it counts the most in the giver of faith. You see, sometimes we can place our trust or our faith in the wrong things, right? Have you ever done that? We, we, before we went to Alaska, before we gave up our businesses, we bought an Airstream, a camper trailer. 28 foot, this thing was beautiful, big, huge camper. And our car wasn't big enough to pull it, so we bought a new Suburban, this big, long, beautiful Suburban. And we had this huge rig, and it was like a million miles long. And, and it was really difficult to back that whole thing anywhere. So I had this really cool Garmin GPS and I bought, and we put it on the dashboard, and we decided to go on this vacation. And I put all of my trust in the GPS to get us there, instead of using a map or 
consulting the internet first about where this place was. So we took off and we drove several hours up into the mountains of North Carolina, pulling this huge rig everywhere. And as we were, you know how it works with the GPS, she tells you when to turn and where to turn and I'm doing that thing. And right about dusk when we should be getting to the uh, campground, we're driving down this dirt road, just kind of off into nowhere. And, and our GPS says, you have reached your destination. Well, no, we, no, I didn't. <laughs> this is not my destination. We're in the middle of a, of, a, of a, like a cattle ranch or something, right? There's this big cow pasture, right? We didn't want to camp with, you know, a herd of cattle. We could have stayed there, but didn't want to. We were not in the right place. So I had to put the thing in reverse and back it all the way back down that road, which was terrible. And we finally found where we were going. They had changed the roads when they, after they did the mapping system or something. I don't remember what the deal was. But the point is... You can put your faith in the wrong things. We have to make sure our faith, our trust, is in Jesus Christ, okay? Another type of faith is saving faith. This faith is the exclusive possession of Christians. All true Christians possess saving faith. Without it, we wouldn't be Christians. When the Philippian jailer asked Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? They answered with, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Acts 16. John's gospel is clear that we receive eternal life by exercising faith in Jesus, the Son of God. John 6.35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Verse 40, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. In Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you've been saved through faith, this is the, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. So saving faith is exclusive to all Christians, okay? And third, the third type of faith is the gift of faith, which is one of the nine spiritual gifts listed for us in 1 Corinthians 12. We'll start in verse 7, and I'll just read a section. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. This passage is talking about individual gifts that are given to individual Christians. These gifts are exclusively available to Christians, okay? So if someone who is not a Christian offers a prophecy, that is not by the Spirit of the living God, okay? These different gifts reside in different Christians. Not all Christians have all the gifts all the time, by the way. Verse 11 says, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. However, don't think that this means that faith is not available to you. The gift of faith referred to in this passage is a special working of the Spirit that enables us as individual Christians to believe for the impossible when such need is there, when we have need of that kind of faith. Okay, here's some examples. This is from a book called Bodybuilders by Dr. David Petz. He says, faith for protection in time of danger. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Daniel in the lion's den. Paul before the shipwreck, right? Faith for provision in time of need. Elijah in the time of famine. Faith to bring God's blessing on others. Isaac blessing Jacob. Peter and John laying hands on the Samaritans. Paul imparting a spiritual gift in Romans 1.11. Faith to remove obstacles in people's lives. Moving mountains in Mark chapter 11. Casting out demons in Mark chapter 9. Peter escaping from prison. Faith for victory. Do you need any of these, by the way? Faith for victory. Moses in the Exodus. Joshua at Jericho. Faith for the impossible. Abraham for a child in his old age. Raising the dead throughout the Bible, right? God gives us what we need when we need it. That's what 1 Corinthians 10.13 says. But it's important to understand that faith is available to all Christians. And then we have to decide what to do with it. In other words, God gives us the faith we need as we need it. And we choose what to do with that faith. Which leads us to the main topic. And we'll just, we'll just go through this quickly. 
living by faith, okay? Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for joy, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We are all commanded to live by faith. We read earlier that it's the only way, in fact, that we can please God. Consider the life of Noah. Genesis 6-9 says Noah walked with God. The Hebrew verb for walked in that, in that scripture passage is a distinctive form that conveys a sense of ongoing intimacy with God, okay? Noah walked with God. In, in other words, he had an ongoing relationship with the Lord. Living by faith means walking with God daily, Having a relationship with him. Noah listened to God throughout chapter 6 and 7. God told him what was coming and what to do about it. In other words, there was revelation from God to Noah. Living by faith means God's word revealed in our lives. Okay? And third, Noah responded to the revelation. He built the ark. It was a response of faith based on the relationship and the revelation from God. All right? So living by faith is more than hearing and knowing. It's more than believing. It's doing. It's responding to the revelation of his word based on a relationship with him. And then re relationship and revelation and response, you can sum all those up in one more R word to help you remember. And this really is the key to living a life of faith. And the word is reliance. When we live in total reliance to God, which is what Noah did, we don't have to try and work up enough faith for every situation because our faith is already in shape. It's all toned up. It's ready to go. Paul lived by faith in total reliance on God. Galatians 2.20, he says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He sums up this whole idea of total reliance on God in his letter to the Philippians, chapter 4. We'll just read verses 10 through 12. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length... You have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Now listen to verse 12. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any, in every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and and need. Now, does that speak to you? We're coming, we're coming to the next part, but does that speak to you? How many of us have been brought low, yet we abound? How many, in every circumstance, facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need? Paul says, I got it figured out. He says, I've learned this secret. Are you on the edge of your seat yet? The secret. Paul is about to unlock one of the great mysteries of this life. How do I go through this life, no matter what happens, living by faith? He answers it in verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In other words, total reliance on God. That is the secret to living by faith. When I was accepted into the school, we didn't have the money to pay for the school. Now, we decided to move forward, and I'm not talking about reckless financial decisions. We knew that we were following his will. This came on the heels of much prayer and fasting. So we went down this path of going to school, but there were steps involved. The first step was to apply. I said, okay, it doesn't cost any money. I'm going to put in an application. Lord, if it's, if it's truly your will and I feel this is what you want me to do, then I'll be accepted. I didn't think I'd ever get accepted into that school. Well, I was accepted. The next step was to book the flight. I didn't have the money to book the flight. I was having a conversation with my pastor at the time, and he was asking me questions about the whole process, what I was doing, and I was just telling him what was going on. 
I had no idea anything was going to come out of that. The church ended up up there paying for our tickets because they knew we had to book the flight. While I was gone, people, we didn't ask anybody for anything, brought food to our apartment the whole time I was gone to help provide groceries because I had to pay for food and things while I was over there. It was a real strain on our budget. Someone would slip a check uh, to the, uh, a, a gift card, $300 gift card to the local grocery store under our apartment door every Friday while I was gone. Paid our grocery bill the whole time we were gone. Still don't know who it was. Okay? People came and helped cart our kids back and forth to school. Unbelievable. Okay? The point is, when you know that you know that God is leading you, don't trust in your ways. Trust in God's ways. Don't look to money, position, power, security, relationships for direction, for answers. Look to God. Look to His Word for direction and for answers. When we totally rely on Him daily... Our faith is exercised, our vision is broadened, and our strength is renewed. It's the key, total reliance on God. And so, what keeps us from living that way? And I've got about three or four minutes and I'll finish up. What keeps us from living by faith? Obstacles to living by faith. First one is unbelief, doubt. We talked about that. Just as faith is a response to God, so too doubt is a response. The Greek word for, for doubt is diakrino. It's a verb, which is important because it's something that we do. It's not something that we have. We don't have doubt. We doubt. It means to separate oneself in a hostile spirit or to be at variance with, with oneself. The ESV study Bible says that doubt is vacillating between trusting God and trusting the world or one's own natural abilities. Okay, that's why James says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. You see, it's not the presence of doubt that gets us into trouble and out of operating in faith because where there's no room for doubt, there's no need for faith. Right? Where there's no room for doubt, there's no need for faith. Faith is not the absence of doubt. Faith is overcoming your doubt by trusting in the Lord. In fact, we can expect doubts to come. James says in uh, chapter 1, 2 through 4, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds because he knows you're going to. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and steadfastness have its, has its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Okay? There is escaping by faith, and there is enduring by faith. Sometimes God will allow us to escape a situation by faith, and sometimes He allows us to endure by faith. Either way, expect doubts to come. But the key is don't give in to doubting. Romans 11, 29 says, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. All right? Another obstacle to living by faith is a lack of love. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3 says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. We can have all the greatest spiritual gifts in the world operating in this church. If we don't have love, we have nothing. I'm convinced that God is more concerned with godly character than he is spiritual gifts. Okay? If we're full of bitterness and anger and envy and apathy, our faith does us no good. It's imperative to our faith that we love each other consistently, compassionately, and unconditionally. All right? And finally, we must remain obedient to God's word if we're going to live by faith. That final obstacle to living by faith is disobedience to God's word. I love the story of Rahab as an example of obedience. Joshua is getting ready to lead the people across the Jordan and attack the city of Jericho. But first he sends these two spies over to check things out. Jericho was believed to have this big double wall around the whole city. It was huge. It was thick. And people lived inside the walls. They had like houses in there, little apartments. So they come to the house of this prostitute, Rahab, who lives in the outer wall. 
Most of you know the story. She, she hides these spies, and then she helps them escape safely. And in return, the spies agree to spare her life and her family in this coming siege to the city. And here's the really cool part. The spies say to her, Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you will let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers and your father's household. And in verse 21, and he said, she said, According to your word, so be it. And then she sent them away and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Now, this is cool to me. It goes on to say that the spies went into the hills for three days and hid out. And then they went back to Joshua and waited for things to cool down several more days before they came back to Jericho. But the scarlet cord was hanging there the whole time. Because Rahab was obedient without hesitation. You see, she knew it was going to take time for them to leave, to get back. It was going to take time for them to gather the army. It was going to take time for them to march back. It would be several days. But it says, Then she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. No hesitation. Like, right now I'm going to obey the word of the Lord. And because of her faithful obedience to God, she was spared and she went on to prosper, okay? Living a life of faith is total reliance on God without giving in to doubt, loving one another, and remaining obedient to God's word. That's it. Living a life of faith, total reliance on God without giving in to doubt, loving one another, and remaining obedient to God's word. That is how you live by faith. And that is a formula for success in your life, okay? Would you bow your heads with me? Before we say a closing prayer with everyone's heads bowed and your eyes closed, I, I do this every week because I don't always know everyone that's here. And every week since we've opened, we've had visitors and people that I don't know. And I would be remiss if I didn't give you an opportunity to make a commitment this morning to follow Christ. You see, before we can rely on God, we have to know Him. Before we can know Him, we have to make a decision to follow Him. And it's a very simple thing to do, making that decision. Following Christ is not so simple. It's quite a, quite a task at times. It's quite a journey. But it is the only way I am convinced to live a life that is truly fulfilled. And so this morning... If there's anyone here and you have never made a commitment to Christ to follow him before, maybe you have and it's been a long time and you just like to say, you know what, I'd like to, to do that again. I, you know what, the truth is I do that again often to recommit my life to Christ. And so I don't know where all of you are this morning in your own heart and in your own lives. And this is really between you and God. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. But I am going to ask you in just a moment to just briefly lift your hand and you can put it right back down. The reason is, if there's no one here making that commitment today, we, we won't pray this prayer. But if there is, I need to know. And if there is, we're all going to pray this prayer together, everyone. Okay? So just for the next few seconds, if you feel the Lord tugging at your heart at all, if this message speaks to you and you say, you know what, I want to rely on God, but I need to have a relationship with Him, or I need to recommit myself to Him so that I know I'm in right standing, I'm right where I need to be with the Lord. If that's you today, would you raise your hand just for a moment and you can put it right back down? Yes. Yes. Are there others? Anyone else? We've had people every single week raising their hands. Anyone else today? And we just wait another 10 seconds. You just want to say, yeah, I'm going to pray that prayer. I'm going to commit my life to Christ this morning. Anyone else? Amen. Amen. That's wonderful. I just want to ask you then with your heads bowed, if we could all out loud, we're going to pray this simple prayer of commitment together. If you would just repeat after me, everyone here this morning, Lord, I admit to you today that I've sinned in my life. And I believe that you gave up your life for me that I might be forgiven for my sins and have eternal life. So I ask you now to forgive me for all my sin. Save me and make me new. And I ask you now, Jesus, to be Lord over my life. 
live in me. And I commit to follow you the rest of my life. And now, Father, we thank you for the faith that you give us. And we ask you, Lord, as we follow you individually in our lives and as a church family, that you would teach us best how we can exercise the faith that that you've given us so that we may be always relying on you and looking to you, not ourselves. That we might always find our strength in you and our supply in you, our direction in you. Help us to live by faith daily and trust in you for all things. We love you this morning and we ask all of this in the great and mighty name Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for coming. And please remember, um, next week, 10.30 a.m., we have service again. If you would, we'd love for you to come back. And immediately following the service, we have our football fellowship where we will hang out and eat great food and have great conversation. Be blessed. You're dismissed.